I'm teaching tonight. If you have your Bibles, this would be a good time. I'm going to read one verse and then we'll go back and read it again in another version. I'm reading from the book of Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. And I'll read one verse and then from the King James and we'll go back to it. This would be a prime moment to take notes. Um, And so I'll help you with a couple of these things as we move along. Luke chapter 11, verse 42. Jesus said this, But woe unto you, Pharisees, for ye tithe mint. That means you give a 10% of mint, rue, and all manner of herbs. Now, think of that. So, the typical uh, giving in tithing would be what we would consider would be finances or money. So even in that day, shekels would have been uh, given. I'll just pause and and tell you how we've operated all these years. And we've operated by giving our tithing, which is 10%, before anything's taken out. That's 10% of your gross, not your net. And then 5%, which the Bible speaks about the half shekel, which was the a temple offering. Um, of course, the Jewish people gave much more than 15%. A lot of times they would give 20, 30, 40% of their income. Uh, the, the original Christians and believers in America, many of those ministers, many, many taught tithe and offering meant the similar or the exact same portion. Um, I've probably not done this as well as I should have because I've just basically said a tithe is anything above the offering. I'm sorry, uh, an offering is anything above the tithe. But that's probably not a very good um, response because an offering is not just subjective. Money really shuts down all amens. Any preacher who starts talking about money, people just either just turn it off or they just get nervous. Don't get nervous. Um, I'm just letting you know that tithe is 10% before anything's taken out. And an offering, we've always just done it the easy way and just 15% was what we always did. And then... When a special offerings would come around, we would just add to that. Um, and the Lord's always blessed us. Since when I, when I first started making a little bit of money, uh, I was with my good friend Steve Richardson, and he taught me that. He just said, just give 50%, and then if there's a special offering, give something above that. So that was our basis. That's been our basis all these years. And the Lord's always provided for us. He's always provided for us. Uh, I don't want to get down this road, but when we first came to Terre Haute, um, the church didn't have any money. And Tammy sold homes as a realtor, and I painted. Uh, I started a painting business. I did all the painting, and, and we would teach Bible studies on Wednesday nights. I would do adult Bible studies. She would do children. We would leave. We had baby Roman at the time. We'd put him. I remember going into these homes and no one was there. We'd fill the bathtub up, put him in the bathtub. I'd be painting the bathroom and she'd be painting the hallways. And 
This is what we would do uh, after Wednesday night Bible study. This was very typical of our, the first several years of our, of our pastorate here. The Pharisees understood tithing. They understood this. They would tithe on shekels. But to tithe on your garden. Now, I don't, I'm not going to ask you how many people have a garden. We started a garden this year, of course, because the apocalypse was coming and we, we had to have tomatoes and cucumbers and all that stuff like all of you. So we got, we started a garden. But of course, what we didn't know was that both of our boxers also liked the garden and they destroyed all of the plants except for the zucchini because they don't like zucchini. But they loved the tomatoes, the green tomatoes, and they ate all of the cucumber, uh, all of the okra plants. And so they destroyed everything but the zucchini. So all we can live on are zucchinis. How about you tithing on your herbs and your tomatoes and your potatoes and your cucumbers? That seems really, boy, you're really getting technical. Well, you know, I got, I've got this basil plant, you know, let's cut off 10% and give it. Let's put 10% of the mint and give it. Now, I would rather you not bring that here. I'd rather you not bring vegetables. And we used to do that. But, I mean, unless you want to pass it around to someone. But, but don't bring produce into the office. We don't know what to do with it. You can bring it to the food pantry. So you think that that might be a little technical. But this is exactly what Jesus would say. Woe unto you Pharisees. You tithe on things so small. An herb, but you pass over judgment and the love of God. These things ought ye to have done. So he did not dismiss tithing, ladies and gentlemen. So if anyone who says, well, tithing is not in the New Testament, that's a lie. That's not true. Right there. I just showed you right there. Tithing is in the New Testament. But he said, you should do that, but don't leave the other things undone. So tonight I'm going to talk to you about the other things, the other things that are undone. The other things. Let's go to Luke chapter 11 and we'll read from verse 39. This is from the NIV. Then the Lord said, uh, said to him, now then you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. So you've got one part, but not the other part. Yes, you should be clean, but don't leave the other thing undone. Verse 40, you foolish people, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But give what is, in, what is inside the dish to the poor, everything will be clean for you. Woe to you Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of herbs, your garden. But you neglect justice to do right. You neglect the love of God. Can you imagine? You neglect the love of God. You're checking the box off of things to do, but you neglected love, the love of God. You have, you should practice, you should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. One without the other is insufficient. One without the other. So what should we do in these times? I would submit to you, pray with a burden but do not be consumed with fear. Be cautious, but be bold. Do all that is in your power to do. Do not neglect one part for the sake of the other part. 
Are you hearing pastor now? Consider the whole. Here's a big one. And not just what you think is critical. This is the view from the pulpit. You see my view and I see this view. We're all part of the same body of Christ, but we have different vantage points. Right? So, dad, mom, you're looking at the whole family. You might have multiple children. If you've got, if you've got three or four or two, you're looking at the whole. What's best for the whole family? And this is the view from the pulpit. What's, the, what's best for the whole church? And the problem with that is, we often get caught, snagged in what we think should happen, but it may not be best for the whole church. <laughs> this is a vital lesson for us. It's a teaching lesson that we also have to teach. So what I'm teaching you tonight is not just for you to absorb, but it's for you to reteach. I want you to reteach this in your lives and among the people. In fact, if I could just put a clarification, all the Bible lessons should be retaught. All of the scriptures should be retaught. We have to remove our thought that we come to learn and we come to, and then we leave. We come to learn and then we distribute. You come to gather and then you distribute. I don't know who taught me that, but I, I really believe probably mom and dad put that in us when we were young, that we were learning to, to deliver. We were gathering so we could distribute. This is what I hope all of us will do. So this is given for you to give out. Do all that's in your power. Here's the question of your life. What will you leave undone? What are you going to leave undone? This is what I found. If I have a passion, it becomes easy for me to pursue my passion. And it becomes easy for me to neglect the other things in my pursuit of my passion. If I like to do something, or I'm more comfortable with something, it's my natural inclination to avoid the other and to do this one. <laughs> if someone serves you a plate of food and has various things on the plate and you know you don't like something on the plate that they've given you, you probably will eat the thing that you like the best first. And then by the time you get to the, you know, whatever it is, peas, <laughs> you can say, maybe even justly, I'm so full. And so you've neglected that. So we're more comfortable doing things that we enjoy, but we can neglect them. The problem is that all of these things that I'll teach tonight are needful and they're important. So what subject do you sacrifice? What subject will your kids sacrifice in school? If they don't like math, are you going to say, you know, no problem. No problem. How do you feel about math? Mathematicians don't have feelings about math. You don't feel that the answer is correct. Math is not emotional, right? I've got some mathematicians in here. It's just fact. There are a group of people who, who, who give an answer. And instead of saying if it's right or wrong, they say, well, how do you feel about it? 
it, my math teacher never asked me how I felt about my answer. It was either right or it's wrong. So you're going to sacrifice one subject because you don't like it? No, you're going to press through and you're going to do that subject. You're going to complete it. Here at these times, in these days that we're living, the church can become unbalanced. Everyone say unbalanced because of crisis. So we have to be careful not to become unbalanced because this is what the Lord is saying. You have, you have, you have focused on one thing, but you've neglected something else. I can just tell you, I'm giving you more view from the pulpit. There's not one sermon for every day of the week. There's not one lesson for the entire year. No. Here is my directive under, as an under shepherd. And I, I, I want you to look at this Acts 20 and 27. Paul wrote, for I have not shunned to declare unto you the, the whole counsel or the counsel of God. That means that there's, there's this broad span of subjects. So I will teach and preach faith, sometimes forgiveness, sometimes giving, sometimes about authority or family or marriage or children. We have discussed prophecy, gifts of the spirit, work ethic, attitude, separation from the world, holiness, engaging the sinner, Teaching Bible studies, prayer, days of fasting, the need for fellowship, and the, and, the, and the list goes on and on. The whole counsel of God. There's not one setting wherein all of those things are discussed. It's over time. It's being saturated with the word of God over time. But of course, what I just told you doesn't always set well with people who I call single issue people. They think of only one thing. Well, I'll tell you what the church needs. It just We just need to do this or we need to do that. It's what they think the church needs or what they think the Holy Spirit is saying to them. But there's a wide variety of people even who come to this building. In fact, as I span the audience and knowing who's watching, there are people at all different types of intervals in their walk with God. Now, how in the world can we have a collective group and touch every part of every life? Because some are new and some are not new. Notice I didn't say old. Some have been around the block. Some people were there before the block. So how, so only if people are blessed, that means that the bread is broken and the Lord distributed the bread. If everyone is blessed by one single sermon or by one single lesson. We, uh, we were doing so well before the pandemic with our life groups and we are planning on getting back into life groups as best we can, small groups as best we can. And we're going to be, we're working on that right now. How do we do that? How, how it should be done. And things are going to, we're, we're figuring out the new path forward. And that's where people can sign up and you, there are specific subjects that we learn about. But in this particular setting, everyone is at a different level in their walk with God or a different place in their walk with God. And it's incredible that we cannot leave things out. 
But we have to be accommodating one to another. Some of you are going through suffering and some of, some of you are on a mountaintop. Some of you are in joy and some of you are in pain. I usually can tell just by your demeanor back to me. I know. Some of you don't hide your feelings very well. If you're disagreeable, you shake your head when I'm preaching. No. You roll your eyes. Some people shake their heads yes. Some people smile. Some of you look, look cold and indifferent. Some of you are just sleeping and that's just how you look when you're, when you're asleep. It's okay. Get a pillow. This is a great place to relax. You ain't bothering me. I'm going to preach and teach anyway. So the whole counsel of God must be exercised. It's not going to happen all at one time. I didn't learn all the subjects all at one time. And I did not grow all at one time. And that's why Solomon wrote, there's a season and a time for all things, for everything. There is a, there is a period of time. Some of you will go through, and in the church, some people go through seasons of pain, suffering, hurt, growth, while other people are going through seasons of gain, prosperity, and joy. And the view that I have is balancing both out. So I don't look indifferent to the person suffering, and I don't make the person who's filled with joy depressed. <laughs> praise God. In my next job, I'd like to be a praise singer. I love to be a praise singer. I can sing, harmonize. You don't even have to, you don't have to memorize the words. They're right there in the back of the big screen. You look good. You sound good. Cry, worship, go sit down. Okay. <laughs> Help me, Lord. This was also offensive to all the praise singers. See, they said, well, that's not that bad. I know our praise singers are wonderful, and I thank you for that. So what happens when something is neglected? What happens is that something important is forfeited for the sake of something prioritized. Because you prioritize it, you have forsaken something else. In other words, you're perfecting one area at the expense of the other area. This is not always healthy. In fact, it's rarely healthy because you can't neglect those other parts. So what if you have developed the ability to pray for an hour? Praise God. Because if you can learn how to pray, and you've got to learn how to pray, that means you have practiced praying. That means you prayed for one minute the first time, and by the time the 60 seconds were, out, were done, you exhausted all the words that you know. Come on. And then, you know, I prayed, one time I prayed for two or three minutes and four minutes, and I can remember as a young boy, I prayed, and then I, I didn't know what else to say. I didn't know what else to say. And then, and then, and then later I, 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 I added some more scriptures to my prayer, and then, you know, then, then I realized if I'll just confess my sins, which was so many, it took me a long time, then I could pray a whole lot. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. Problem is, you've never confessed to the Lord, so you don't have nothing to say. Just a little joke there. There's some murmuring among the crowd. Uh-huh. Well, what if you to learn to pray for one hour, and I mean really pray? I'm not talking about vain repetitions. I'm talking about a prayer for one hour. What if you learn how to pray for one hour? And what if you have such the, wor the words such that the, the prayers are powerful... But you, you forsake submission. 
to your spiritual leader. So you've, you've perfected something, but you've sacrificed something else. Or what if you've neglected um, your Bible reading, but, but, you, but you've learned how to serve. You are a good server. You, you, you work for the kingdom. You work for the church. You get your hands dirty. But you don't ever read your Bible. So you've neglected, you've, you, you, you've perfected one thing, but you've neglected the other. It's the things that are left undone that are going to trip you up. And some of the things that you leave undone, you might think are inconsequential. And they don't matter. They do matter. How about worship? What if you know how to offer great worship to God? Great praise. But you neglect tithing and offering. So you know how to shout. You know how to say amen. You know how to get with it. But when it comes to your finances... You put everything first but God. What, what has happened is that you've perfected the outward praise, but you've neglected, maybe you neglect private devotion. What about doing good for others, but neglecting the good for your own family? What about being honorable and kind to other people around you, but when you get home, you act like the devil? What about when you're in the car and you come to church and you're yelling, but when you get out, praise the Lord, brother. God's so good. But you are a horrible wreck in the car. You're like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. You're one way when you're not in here or when you're at the other people. But you put on the game face. Now you're kind. How, how, are, we doing today? how are we doing now? Are we doing okay? At home. How are you doing at home? Just wave back at your screens. What about... A Sunday school teacher, you're so good, or a food pantry worker, and you feel satisfied in what you're doing, but you will not learn from your pastor or from your spiritual leader, but you're never going to miss a food pantry night. But you're never, you're never going to miss a Sunday school. I know a lady who, the church service, the church had Sunday school the first hour, worship on the second hour, from, it was about, from like 9.30 to 11.30, she never missed working in the Sunday school from 9.30 to 11, to 10.30. But for decades, she never went to morning worship. Never. She would teach, but she would not be taught. Really? What are you neglecting? You perfected something. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. Let's buy her a cake. Let's buy her a cake for never missing Sunday school. Let's throw the cake in her face for, for always missing worship. Okay, this, this is an angry, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm an angry elf. I'm sorry. So, so sorry. It's terrible of me. I'm telling you, it's like the view from the, from the pulpit tonight. What's going on? Yes, you praise and worship, but you hate your brother. You, you have grudges. Against people that you will not let go. So you've done well here, but you've done so poorly there. So poorly there. What about, what about a praise and worship? What about the music, and singers, and all the people? You'll come to sing. You'll come to play. But if you're not playing and you're not singing, you don't show up. You know how many, you know how many churches that happens in all across America? 
where prima donnas get on their get on their instruments, they'll play, they'll they'll get involved as long as they're being used. But the moment they're not being used, they don't even know what to do in the audience. Mm-hmm. What 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 is what's happened is we've left the other undone, things undone. You should have done both things undone. Let's work on this for a moment. Are you ready? First Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. If you have your Bibles, First Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. 1558. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye, are you ready? Steadfast. Everyone say steadfast. Say unmovable. Say abounding. There's three areas there, steadfast, unmovable, and abounding. I think that they're in in order. I'll show it to you. And what are the elements of steadfastness? What are they? I'm going to look carefully. If I see the scripture as it's written, I'm prone to see it in an orderly fashion. Just the way I'm looking at the scripture. I, I see it. Steadfast is first. It's always first. Steadfast produces something. Steadfast is repetitive. Say repetitive. It's repetitive. Steadfast. It produces foundation. Foundation is built upon the things that, that are repetitive. And then those things produce abounding. Now I want the abounding, but I'm not so keen on the foundation. But the foundation is the totality of the things that cannot be seen. What are those things? In quotation marks. I'll call them daily disciplines. And you should write this on your notes. Daily disciplines. You should write this in your brain. What are my daily disciplines? Daily disciplines. Who's ever out of the bed last makes the bed. Come on, how do you how do you folks live? Please tell me that you have made the bed. This is not a good response. Daily disciplines. Daily disciplines. I'll give you a couple words: routines, habits, duties. Wake up. Make the bed, read the Bible. I got a cup of coffee now. I'm reading the Bible, my one year Bible. The cover has come off of it. I was going to give it to Sister Shields, but I couldn't part with it long enough for her to fix it for me. I need to get it to her. Pray for the Lord's help, have prayer. Pray for the specific needs of the people in the church. The people that I've written down on my little list to pray for. People I'm burdened for. That's easy because I've been dreaming about them all night. Because most nights I'm not sleeping. About 4.30, 3.30, 5 o'clock in the morning I'm up again. Because I'm, I'm carrying this weight, this burden. Which is another reason why I want to be a praise singer. <laughs> I'm thinking about going back and playing the drums. (laughs) I'm telling the truth here. This is what's going to. I don't know if I can make any money doing that, but I I can do it. I'm done with that. Now I'm going to make sure all the bills are in line. I'm making a list of things to do. I'm working on the list. Now I'm making phone calls. I'm having conversation with my family. The day is spent, there's so much things in that day, many unpredictable things as all of you have. 
But then I'm asking the kids, how was your day? What did you accomplish? If they don't want to talk to me, I'll keep prying until they say something. If I ask them how it's going and they say good, then I say, that's a terrible word. Explain what that means. Give me at least a synonym that, that's better than good. And then we get into the conversation, which they usually like to have their conversations, starting around 10.30, 11.30 at night, and then everyone opens up and they all want to talk. Mm-hmm. What's going on? I'm checking on the church. What, what's happening in the day? I'm checking on the church. What are you doing in the day? I'm calling mom, see if the rapture came. Then I called dad after that. <laughs> Just a joke. Probably true, though. Checking the mail, right? Paying more bills. I'm reading some books. I'm reading some articles. and more daily disciplines over and over and over and over again. If I gave you one piece of paper, you could tear it very easily. But if I added to that paper one piece every day and it became a thousand pieces, it'd be hard to tear. It creates the foundation. Daily, steadfast things over and over and over and over again. And that is growth. Doing the same repetitive things. Doing right means righteousness. Righteousness just simply means doing right. Mm-hmm. So what is, what is those, what are those things that I'm doing over? What are they? Seek peace. I'm seeking peace. However, I'm rebuking the enemy at the same time. Now, some of you, this is gonna hard, this is hard for you to, 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 to balance because you'll get in one mode. But on one hand, I'm seeking peace, and the other hand, I'm rebuking the devil. Both are important. I cannot neglect either one. I protect the people, you, from wolves. Wolves are not demonic spirits. Wolves describe, ravenous wolves, the Bible talks about, describes people who are professed believers that seek to destroy the church. So I try to protect you from ravenous wolves, at the same time teaching you about the beauty of the fruit of the Spirit that cannot be divided. It's one fruit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. I'm balancing both because I can't neglect one or the other. Both are needful. I'm going to help you against spiritual darkness, carnality, the world. At the same time, telling you to be patient, kind to your enemies, and loving people because they don't know the Lord. How is it that you can live in the world but live separate from the world? We have to balance both. Both of them are important. It's important for you to come to this house. Forsake not the assuming of yourselves together. It's important for you to come to this house. Now listen... I know that people are nervous. If you are legitimately nervous, if you work in the, if you work in an environment where you're a first responder, you're working in the hospitals, I get it. It's okay. Do, I want to say something to other people. I want to say something to other people tonight. If you have underlying issues, if you work in the hospital, if you are legitimately concerned about contacting a virus, this virus that is real, that's very real. But if you're concerned and that's not why you're here, you're okay, worship. But do your best to get back here as soon as you can. It's okay. But for those of you 
who have a problem with any requirements. And that's why you're not coming in here. You're going to have a hard time come tribulation period. Well, I'm not going to go to church if I have to wear a mask. Really? Then you have no idea what it's like to serve God in third world countries. Or to hide out. Or to sneak around to try to have a little worship time. If the Lord required, or if I said everyone's, everyone's got to wear a black trash bag over their body, just your head protruding, if you want to come to worship, and you say, well, I'm not going to do that. I spent good money for these clothes. I want, you to, I want you to have enough love for the people of God in worship. Go down and buy all the glad trash bags you can. Because I believe this. People who don't want to be accountable, are you hearing me now? This is a great time to exercise your unsubmissive spirit. I think I'm teaching people who are not here. So I'm looking at that camera. I hope you're watching. I hope you're listening. You better get, you better wake up. You better wake up. I'm doing both here. Consoling. And yet correcting. Of course, no, nobody really wants that. Even though that's what the Bible is for. All scriptures but given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for instruction, for correction, for, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. All good works. You would be a lopsided Christian if you didn't have both sides. So you do things, daily discipline, that make you steadfast. And then your foundation becomes strong. And then from your foundation, you can abound. However, most people just want to abound. They want outward gain without getting inward disciplines. They want outward exposure without getting inward humility. They want to teach everyone, but they don't want to listen to anything. They want expansion without obligation. Do not be that way. You need both. You need this and you need that. I'm going to get to it in a moment. Let me just offer this to you. There are teaching ways. There's many different types of teaching. Just think with me for a moment about the various ways to teach and to learn. I'll offer you just three ways of teaching, even though I'm not attempting to exhaust all the various methods. I'll submit these things to you. I just want to show you that it's never just this or that. It's this and that. A lot of people live by this or that. When in reality, it's this and that. It's this and that. Healthy homes are not just homes that have have Christian music playing and the Bible open. They also have a family budget. Which is not so glamorous and doesn't look so spiritual. But trust me, when your finances are a wreck, you don't feel very good towards God or other people. And there's some people who only work on their finances, but they have never cracked open their Bible at their table. Because they think, the scripture and worship is reserved for the church house. Okay. We're, we're working now. We're, we're, we're working. I, okay, I'm working. 
And some people think they do something, they think that, that they'll do it, but they do it at the exclusion of other things. It's not this or that, it's all of it. So in that case, they would hurt themselves thinking that they're really helping themselves. And this, of course, comes from a mismanagement of priorities. How are we doing? Just shake your head in agreement with me. Even if you don't agree, shake your heads and you'll confuse me and I'll be happy about myself. Thank you. Let's get to my three ways of teaching. Number one is instructional. Number two is projectional. And number three is exampling. I've been looking at this for um, oh, a couple of decades now, but more intently probably in the last 10 years, right before we moved into this building, these three very powerful methods of teaching. And I'll give you a few uh, points, both sides. Maybe we can even call it pros and cons of these areas. First, instructional. Um, that, that would come from maybe a detailed point, a manual. Uh, so if it's instructional, there's a book a lot of times. There's a, uh, there's, there's dot to dot type things. You're leading somewhere, someone somewhere. And of course, this allows us to know what to do, what not to do. The manual, the instructional. And the instructional teacher uses these point by point methods to deliver something that we would call knowledge. Um, I'll get to that in the third point. Then there's a clear description because this might come with a diagram. It allows us, the student, to follow this prescribed method. There's a blueprint. But that, the teacher is not ambiguous because it's more data-driven. It's more black and white, very linear thoughts. But the problem with that is the, the instructor may not have intimate knowledge of, of the subject. They might just be regurgitating or or reciting something that's been read. So the teacher may be just rehearsing something, what they've read. They, they don't necessarily have to have a relationship with the material. And so sometimes it's hard to receive from someone who's talking to you about something they don't know. It's kind of like, like a 19-year-old teaching a, a, a class on parenting. You know, they don't have children, they're not married. It's like somebody who, who, who's never been married teaching or going to the marriage seminar and teaching. You, don't, you really don't, it's hard, you don't really know that. There's only one person that's qualified to teach married people who are not married. Only one, his name was Paul. And he taught by inspiration of the Holy Ghost. The second is the projectional teacher. And that, that person will speak in terms of, of, of vision. They're a visionary. And they'll preface their teaching, however, with, with thoughts. This is both good and bad. They may say, it's time for us to have fill in the blank. Revival. It's time for us to have passion. So it's, it's a projection of a vision. A goal is presented, maybe. But the details are left out. And goals are wonderful. Teaching about the goals. We're going to win our city, but there's no goals. It's mostly based on inspiration. Evidence is anecdotal. Or the presentation's anecdotal. A story. Which, of course, mathematicians call anecdotal evidence non-facts. <laughs> And so there's, there's stories about this, inspirational things. The good part about it is they inspire us 
Those teachers inspire us to do better. That teaching or presentation is filled with emotion. The downside about it, uh, uh, it is, is that there's no evidence that what they're saying is real. They can, they can come from, God gave me a dream, they can say. And they were all following whatever they dreamed. We don't know if it's from God or not. But the inspiration is important. And then finally is exampling. And there's good and bad in that exampling. You might not think there's any bad. But the teacher may not be gifted in explanation. But they rely upon their life's work. Which is healthy. It's wonderful. Except details might be left out. Or maybe they're never offered. Not, not, not by lack of desire, but maybe there's no communication skills. There's been many fathers who have led by example, but they didn't really relate any... There wasn't communication in their home. So they did well as an example, but they didn't speak. And the problem is that the student is developed not just by the example, but there's got to be some desire. And so he's got to follow that, but, there's, but not necessarily by request. The lifestyle of the person, of the teacher, is the featured point. He, that's the featured element, but not a communication. You see... These three areas of teaching are important to our spiritual and our mental growth, our emotional growth. And they're all important because they are combined together like a threefold cord. They're not really good separate because we have to have instruction. There has to be the instructional teacher. You have to be instructional. Solomon said, listen to my instruction. Son, listen to my instruction. Details, points. There has to be instruction so we know where to go in the scripture. We have to know the details of what we're talking about. But there's also this wonderful thing about projection. That's motivation. That's the approach that inspires. We have to have inspiration. Some sermons, some lessons are more inspirational than instructional. We need that. We've got to have that. And then finally, and, and, and finally there's this exampling. It's a powerful thing. You can't just have someone who's in, instructional, but they don't live what they're teaching. And you can't have someone who's just living something, but they never talk about what they're, what they're living. The Bible offers this in many ways when it says, if you'll do this, then I'll bless you. So the blessing, whatever it is, becomes the goal. That's the inspiration. But if there's, if there's no emotion attached to it, and there's no instruction attached to it, then you have to rely upon the keen senses of the student to take notes. Now, some people do. Some people can look, zero in on someone and say, I'm going to follow them. They never have to talk to me. I know exactly what they're doing because they are students of that other individual. But by and large, people need to talk. We need to discuss. We need to showcase what we're doing and talk about it. So you might think, well, that's a little silly, Pastor. Make the bed and read your Bible and have a cup of coffee. No, I'm saying it because as I speak it, it comes from what I do. And that perhaps you'll be inspired to get up and do the same. All right. It's not this or that. It's this and that. These things may not look like they're big things, but they add up to something grand. These things that you might think are small, moments of kindness, 
contentment, patience, daily working on something adds up to something very big. One of the problems in parenting, we've seen this after the 1950s, parents removed the burden from their children and they started giving their kids everything. Then out of that 70s and 80s came the latchkey kids where parents were gone and the kids were raising themselves. MTV raised them and the new cable networks raised them. What happened was there was a removal of conversation and table conversation. And table conversation cannot, can happen even if you don't have a table. It just means conversation with your family all the time. Because I don't need another person to teach the kids that God gave me. But my children aren't going to listen to what I have say if I don't treat their mother with respect. And if I don't treat other people with respect. And if I don't treat them with respect, how are we doing now? I, I feel like sometimes I should be up here like, I don't know, is it, is it Verizon or Sprint? Can you hear me now? Can you hear me? Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? I, I'm, I'm asking all the church, don't neglect things you think that are unimportant. Of course, in this scripture, Jesus is saying, you neglected the weightier things and you picked up the small things. You gave tithe on the mint, but you didn't love God. I'm watching this happen, and I've watched this happen most of my life, where people, so shallow, so shallow, they, they, they do all the clapping, they're so shallow, first sign of trouble, and you can't even see them. And they'll, they'll curse the church, curse God, curse everybody. Why? Because they don't have any deep roots. They, they weren't steadfast. They have no daily disciplines. They perfected giving mint. They perfected giving herbs. They brought corn on the cob. They brought potatoes and they brought little things and they thought this was so good. But they forgot how to pray. They forgot how to forgive. They forgot how to be submissive. They didn't look at the weightier things. Because they took... Are you hearing this now? Because they took satisfaction in the things that made them feel good. What if we came to church and never felt good? You still come to church. You still serve God. We were just talking about this. Brother Barbara and I were just talking about this. Just before church, we were, we were discussing this thing. that and, and it's, what do you do when you do the right thing, you get the wrong result? You keep doing the right thing. You don't stop doing the right thing because of the result. The result is in God's hands. The right thing is in your hands. You keep your hands clean before God and do the right thing. If the result is, is not what you want, you're still doing what's right before God. Well, what if you, what if you stop and say, well, I'm just, I want the result. That means you're doing any things that, that culminate in this idea that the end justifies the means. No, it does not. You can, you can be right and you can be wrong at the same time. We don't want to talk about that. Because a lot of people love their rights. But I'm here to tell you, you can be right and you can be wrong at the same time. It's not this or that. It's this and that. <laughs> and my teaching and my preaching has to... I'm looking at all of the church, all of the church. 
Let me just tell all of you gifted people, please take the burden off of my shoulders to find you a place to work in the kingdom. There's plenty of Bible studies and there's 103,000 people in this county that have not been baptized in Jesus. Wait a second. Wait a second. That have not been baptized in Jesus' name. You have a home, a car, a van. You have a couch and a table. Don't come here and say, well, Pastor, I want to do a work. What do you have for me? I have the whole field. The harvest is ripe, but the laborers are few. Well, if you just give me a job, I'll do it. I'll give you a job. Look at this city. Look at these surrounding cities. Brazil has 10 or 12,000, 15,000. Terre Haute has 63,000 people. Go find one of them and love them and entreat them and bring them into your home and care for them and teach them about Jesus. And if they neglect you, go find another person. If they shut the door in your face, go find another person. If that person don't want you, go do something new. Don't keep doing the same thing. Don't stick your foot in the door. Just come bring a pie. Wear a, wear a mask and bring like some vegetables. I got zucchini. That's all I got. <laughs> what, 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 what are we doing here? We developed this idea that if somebody gives us a job... So all of you gift, I know you're listening to me, all of you gifted people here and not here, all of you gifted folks that you have a burden for the ministry, you have a, you have, you have a call of God in your life, go teach a Bible study, start something in your home, a prayer meeting in your home, but do not neglect submission. You know what, you know what I'm concerned about? I'm concerned about people who do this or that. They'll reach people, but they won't connect them to me. They're connecting them to them. So in time of trouble, I'm not their pastor. Because it's this or it's this or that, not this and that. I can I I can read this. I've seen this happening for several years in a row. <sighs> not because I'm good, I am the under shepherd. I don't know how this happened. I have no idea. But it happened. Here I am, almost 21 years later. God help me, I had black hair when I started. And you know why I have gray. Look around. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Here's the danger, and I'll end here. The danger of the other undone. I'll give you this, the danger of the other undone. The first danger is it produces a distorted view of family and relationships. It's the danger. You'll have a distorted view of family and relationships. Because you'll believe that everything's okay as long as the things that are unsavory are done in private. You'll end up believing that you can besmirch your father's good name or your mother's good name or the church's name as long as you are personally accepted by people. You'll have a distorted view because you'll prioritize things of God. You'll neglect things of God. So it's not just in your tithes and offerings, but it's living separate from the world. It's not just living separate from the world, but it's coming to this house on Sunday and acting like it's the last day you're ever going to be able to praise, clap, dance before the Lord. It's not just clapping and dancing and shouting. It's not just that. But it's putting your hands to the, to the, to the mill, to the grindstone to work for the kingdom. It's not just that, but it's being kind to the people around you. It's not just that, but it's teaching 
teaching someone a Bible study or expressing your love for God to your community. It's not just that, but telling all your family. It's not just that. It's all of it. It's this and that. And if you, if you, if you are unbalanced, you'll become double-minded. And James wrote, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Number two, you'll have a false expectation or unrealistic expectations. Because you put another weight on every preacher and teacher thinking, I got to get something out of that. If I don't get something out of that, if it's not deep or down my alley, I'm not coming. Maybe perhaps you're here to support someone else who is going through something you went through 10 years ago, but you're here in body so you can be a support to them. It's not all about what you personally get out of the lesson or the sermon. Have you ever considered that? Is that what you do at your dinner table? Hey, listen. I don't even like those. I don't like those potatoes. I'm not coming. When you make something I like, I'll come and eat with the family. No, no, no. No. That's not how you do it. And if that is how you do it, you ought to change. No, sometimes you come here to be a support. Why do you always have to come here so you can get something out of it? Why don't you come to put something in? What if I preach something you've already heard? Chances are I have. I really feel like I should just start over. Just start over and just re-preach everything. I can go another 21 years and not ever have to study again. Watch, I don't. I'm not going to do that. But what if I did? And you say, well, I've already heard about Jonah. I heard about Jonah. How Jonah was in the ark. No. I heard about Jonah. Jonah, throw her down 70 times 7. No, that's not there either. Now, what, what if you already heard about it? Well, then, amen like it's the first time you heard it because there's somebody who hasn't heard what you already heard. But if you, if you, are, if you have the others undone, you have a false expectation. Number three, there'll be an, you'll live an unbalanced lifestyle, an unbalanced lifestyle. Because you'll think, let's just as an example, you'll think everything's about prophecy. We got to just be talking about Daniel and Revelation. Daniel and Revelation. I get it. I know. Hey, listen, go back and watch what I, what I was taping in March and April. There's a lot of prophetic things that I've taught. Or in 2019 when I brought us all the way through Daniel's 70th, 70th week. Or a handful of years ago when even I gave color copy handouts. I don't know if you were here then. The beautiful color copy handouts. We've done it and we'll do it again. But if you leave the other undone, you'll live an unbalanced life. Unbalanced life. An unbalanced life will produce a lot of things, not the least of which is angst, bitterness, debt, Unbalanced. You'll work hard, but you'll treat your things like they're no good. The balanced life treats everything with respect. You'll have a critical spirit. Number four, there'll be a critical spirit on you. Oh, this happens all the time. When you leave things undone, you'll have a critical spirit because you'll be angry that other people are doing things you're not doing. You'll be given your mint offering 
and they'll be working on loving the Lord and giving their mint offering and you'll be angry that they're doing both and you'll say, who do they think they are? <laughs> yeah. You easily can develop a critical spirit. Especially when you leave the other things undone. And finally, I end here. You'll have a false view of spiritual matters and of God. It's a false view. Because you're looking at a very narrow scope. Look at the whole scope. Look, I'm telling a lot of our backsliders that I see, this is how I'm approaching them because God spoke to me. I'm going to approach them not just by faith, but I'm seeing something in the spirit. When this world starts to, and I'm telling you, we're on the, we're on the brink of some major things about to happen. When this world starts to kind of, kind of get its horrible teeth into the body of the church and everything starts to collapse and it comes after the church, after the born again believers. I'm telling these people that are backslidden, when you get back to God, you're going to be a powerful powerful example not if not perchance and if you've got a small view of God because you've left the other undone what you'll think is it's all about judgment and it's not about mercy when it's really about both because sometimes there's judgment and sometimes there's mercy you just have to have the wisdom and understanding when which one applies at what time <laughs> oh my, oh my, oh my, oh my. Because sometimes I need to rebuke someone on the right side and I need to have mercy for someone on the left side and you'll think, well, pastor's not fair. Well, it wasn't really about fairness. Go check out Jesus. He had 70 disciples. He sent them out two by two. He sent his 70 disciples out and he told them, don't take any money. Don't take a bag. Don't take a script. Just go. I'm sending you out like wolves among sheep I'm sorry sheep among wolves I'm sending you out into danger that's not fair how would you like to meet for Saturday morning evangelism and the pastor said now listen you're going to get eaten up out there <laughs> you're going to be like sheep and the devils are going to come and attack you Woo, let's go how would you like that that's what Jesus said I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves sheep don't have teeth like the wolves have teeth they're devouring the wolves. You're going to be bloody. You're going to be beaten. And don't take any protection. And don't take any provisions. That's not fair. He picked out 12 disciples. And of the 12, he had three. He didn't bring all the disciples into Jerry's house. He just picked Peter, James, and John. What, what are you talking about? I'm a disciple. I can't go in. No, you stay outside. That's not fair. Jesus was not fair. And then of the three, John said he was the most beloved. Even Peter knew it. And Peter said, why do I have to die and John gets to live? And Jesus said, what is it to thee if John tarries till I come and you die? And here's what the church says. Well, I don't know why he rebuked me and he had mercy on them. Maybe because I knew that was the time. Or maybe I was led. Or perhaps, God forbid, I was wrong. Well, we don't even have time to go into that. Praise God, I don't want to talk about it. Time's up. Amen. Don't leave the other undone. Don't leave the other undone. Please stand with me now and we'll pray.
Father, I praise your holy name. I pray, Father, for your blessing. I pray for wisdom and guidance. I pray for the people that are here and not here. I pray for all the saints, those that are in their home, those that are going to be watching today and tonight, and some because of their work will be watching this week. I pray, bless every one of them. Bless all the people. Help us to learn from the word. I pray, let the church stay united and strong, Lord. Don't let there become divisions and schisms, Lord. Let it not be so. Let this body of believers embrace everybody from every part of every culture. Let this place be a house of love based upon the love of Jesus Christ because we know where you brought us from, Lord. And we recognize and we confess that we were sinners saved by grace, that not of ourselves, it was the gift of God. And we recognize, Lord, that we could do nothing but by the cross of Calvary, we stand here. Our sins remitted by the atoning blood of Jesus Christ. So I pray right now, bless the body, bless the church, bless the young people and the children and all of our community. And everyone said in Jesus' name.